Welcome and thank you for joining us here for the Bread of Life, a listener-supported program of the International Mission Church Partnership Evangelism. To learn more, go to breadoflifeboise.org. Now here's our teacher, Joel Van Hoogen. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 31 directs us to judge ourselves. Self-knowledge is required if we are to succeed in any relationship, including the one God wishes to hold with us. In our last broadcast, we considered five of seven questions to ask ourselves that will guide us in a proper self-discovery. I list them for you now. We will look more fully at the last two today. Number one, what do you want most? Number two, what do you think about most? Three, how do you use your money? Four, what do you do with your leisure time? Five, whose company do you enjoy? Six, whom and what do you admire? And seven, what do you laugh at? Ask the questions, but give the answers slowly and thoughtfully as you go on in self-discovery. Whom and what do you admire? Let's just think with whom do you admire? We can be critical of politicians who are pandering to people to gain their hearts. But that's been going on for a long, 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 long time. It's just a reflection, not only of the lack of scruples in the politician, but a lack of good judgment in the people that they pander to. And so, when a great number of people in a nation can't see past the false pomp that someone presents, or past the false indignancy of played-up injustices, or past the false flattery that they give to them, then it's not only the politician who's false, it's the people as well. Actually, if you want to go and do a study of the, kind of like the prototypical politician, you can go back to 2 Samuel. In fact, go there, 2 Samuel chapter 15, and you can read about Absalom, David's seditious son. He was like the prototypical politician of almost any day. He knew how to play up on people's, how to, present himself as something important. He knew how to play up on people's sense of injustice and indignation about not being treated fairly, and he knew how to make them feel good about themselves with all kinds of flattery. And you read it right here in this passage, verses 1 through 6 of 2 Samuel chapter 15. After this, it happened that Absalom provided himself with chariots of horses and 50 men to run before him. Dun-da-da-da. Now Absalom would rise up early and stand beside the way of the gate. So it was whenever anyone who had a lawsuit came to the king for a decision that Absalom would call to him and say, What city are you from? And he would say, My servant is from such and such a tribe of Israel. Then Absalom would say to him, Look, your case is good and right, but there's no deputy of the king to hear you. Moreover, Absalom would say, Oh, that I were made a judge in the land and everyone who has any suit or cause would come to me, then I would give him justice. And so it was, whenever anyone came near to him to bow down to him, that would be the appropriate approach to the prince, the son of a king, he would put out his hand and take him up, you get the idea, and kiss him. In this manner, Absalom acted towards all Israel who came to him for the king for judgment. So Absalom stole the hearts of the men of Israel. He was the first baby kisser. He was the first person that was showing what a regular nice guy was. The flatterer, the person who appealed to people's senses of indignation and injustice and made them feel self-righteous and good about themselves. The person who would pour upon them a false sense of love and appreciation only to get what he wants. You know, we need to think about this for a moment. 
Israel constantly was drawn away by their admiration for false things and false people and false actions. They were allured by the expressions of the Egyptians. So they were allured by the power of the Assyrians. They were allured by the, the, the great elements that they saw being expressed and the beauty that the Sidonians had. And they all, oh, they wanted those things. And they wanted a king like everybody else around them. You remember in the book of 1 Samuel? But that's a telltale sign of something in your own life. So who is it that you admire? Who do you really want to be like and to follow as an example in your life? John says that if we love the world and the things of the world, we don't have the love of the Father in us. We have to ask ourselves if there's some secret admiration within us for worldly people and for worldly men We have to see if we're drawn to the humble and the holy person who may seem to be irrelevant in this age or whether we're drawn to those people that seem to have the the world by the throat and be able to get what they want and just know how to roll the dice just right all the time and walk with a certain snap. You know, when I was a kid, I wanted to be like the kid who always had a good comeback answer. I always thought of my comeback answers after the opportunity was gone. I thought, yeah. I really want to be able to put people in their place, and that's the smart kid, and I want to be like that kid. Walks around and, you know, gets it off of his lip really fast, and I want to be like that. It's not humble. It's not holy. It's not Christ-like. Who do you really aspire to be like? Who gets your attention? You say, man, that, boy, if I could just be a little bit more like that. Here's one last one in exploring your life and coming to self-discovery. It may surprise you. The last point that Tozer makes, and I think actually it might in some ways be the most important, I don't know. What do you laugh at? What do you laugh at? A good sense of humor, by the way, is a very valuable thing. It'll go a long way towards promoting health and kindness in your marriage and in your home if you apply it selflessly. And by the way, we, the basic thing is we laugh at things that are comically out of proportion. Nowadays, they've got these little uh, screens on your phone, and if you look at yourself on the phone, they distort your face. You know, you'll have these big teeth and big lips. You have a tiny little nose. You have these big eyes. And, you know, your kids have all shown them to you, and y- you can't look at them without laughing. They're just so comically out of proportion, you've got to laugh. And I've seen, I know this, I've seen video of my mother laughing at her face in one of these little things here. So I know how it works. I know it's true in myself. It's all right. You just can't help cracking up at things that are totally out of proportion. And by the way, the person who has wrapped themselves up in the dogmas of self-importance usually doesn't have a good sense of humor. They don't get the joke around them. Dictators, for example, don't have a good sense of humor. They don't, they don't realize the incongruities of their life. They don't realize, I don't know which one of the rulers in, in um, North Korea it was who put in the state paper that he had gone golfing and golfed 18. That's his score was 18. Basically, if you know anything about golf, you basically add your strokes up. So it meant that he had to get a hole in one on all 18 holes, and it was put in the paper. Well, you know, we laugh at that. He actually didn't think it was funny. He didn't realize that it's incongruous. It doesn't make sense. It's silly. You know what? Self-righteous people also don't really have a good sense of humor either. Pay attention to a person's religion. If it keeps them from laughing often, it's likely a religion 
that has made them think too highly of themselves. The Bible commends that kind of laughter and that kind of joy to us, but it also warns us against a humor that isn't reined in by the truth. It must be a humor that leaves us thankful to God, not jaded to his sweetness, not corrupted by the coarseness of sin. Let me read to you Ephesians chapter 5, verses 2 through 4. There Paul writes, Walk in love as Christ also loved us and gave himself for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. But fornication and all uncleanness and covetousness, let it not even be named among you as is fitting for the saints. Neither filthiness nor foolish talking nor coarse jesting, which are not fitting, but rather the giving of thanks. God's word actually calls us as a Christian to live our lives in such a way that the overall expression of our lives is that we're sober, that we approach the world with a certain kind of soberness. This is not kind of an imposed soberness that can't smile at the incongruities of life and even laugh wholeheartedly at them. But it's a recognition that there are big things at play and important things at play. Titus chapter 2, verses 11, 12 puts it this way. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly and righteously and godly in the present age. Very often, the humor that's employed in the world in which we live, and that we often employ ourselves, is employed to stave off the conscience which brings to us messages of our own fallenness and our own sin and our own need to be made right with God. So instead of receiving that message, we make a joke of that behavior or that action. Or instead of receiving the message from the messenger, we make a joke of the very messenger who's coming. We belittle them or try something find humorous about them. And I'm sure people had jokes to tell about Paul, that little old man coming in with his poor eyesight. And wasn't it funny? As a way to dismiss the person who's come under the authority of God to speak. And, and actually, interestingly enough, God seems to make it easy to make the jokes. Because he sends the prophets, and usually they're kind of un, unusual characters. John the Baptist had to look kind of humorous. It's like God provided an opportunity. Look, if you don't want to take this seriously, you don't have to. But you don't take it seriously to your own peril and your own ruin. Be careful what you laugh at. Be careful that in an attempt to hold to your own headstrong willfulness, you don't make a joke of everyone that God might use to speak into your life. Humor can be used to kill the messenger and the message that God is bringing to us. Be very careful how you use it. Ask yourself, actually, how do I use it? What do I laugh at? Although we can laugh, and by the way, a person walking the Spirit will laugh, but they won't laugh at certain things. We won't laugh at things that grieve the Holy Spirit. We won't laugh at sin. We won't laugh at death. We won't laugh at anything that makes a mockery of God and his ways. You keep in mind that Satan laughs as well, but when he laughs, he sneers against the truth, and his laughter is a snarled lip of contempt for what is good and pure. But there is a joy that the Lord gives us, and there is a robust humor to be found in the world in which he's made. And we can even laugh at humorless dictators and at those who think they can pull God down with their own self-important plans. The Bible actually says of God that he who sits in the heaven laughs. We can laugh with him at those things. But on the whole, watch your humor. Is it employed to protect you from God's messages 
and God's messengers? Or does it rise out of a joy that comes when His truth is fully embraced in your life? Seven things. What do you want most? You'll have to find a quiet place to think this through. And you do it often. What do you want most? What do you think about most? How do you use your money? What do you do in your leisure time? Whose company do you enjoy? Whom and what do you admire? What do you laugh at? Answer these and you'll go a long ways in coming out of hiding and taking off the disguises that you hold before others in God. You'll come a long way at walking transparently before him and find his healing power in your life. A good time to do this is before this table. This table was provided for sinners. It was provided to be a substantial meal and a substantial experience for us in the place of the trivialities of life. It lays before us and opens up to us Christ himself in all of his fullness. At every moment of the day, he says, I give you myself. Let's bow our heads and let's pray. Again, Lord, don't allow our flesh to cheat us from the opportunities you give us by turning our gaze out towards others and not inward towards ourselves. This has been the Bread of Life, a listener-supported program brought forward by the International Ministry Church Partnership Evangelism and the Mission Church Fellowship in Boise, Bread of Life. We value your participation in this ministry and your contributions that make it possible. To learn more, go to breadoflifeboise.org. For now, may God bless you.